five. Two. Eight. Two. Hello and welcome to this episode of the popular and fringe podcast calling itself... 5282. It's number five already. Uh, we fully intend to cover artists with long gaps between albums and discuss the career of Lindsay Anderson, a British feature film, theatre and documentary director, film critic and leading light of the three cinema movement and the British New Wave. With me are two creatives with connections to the stars. He interviewed Nico New Kaiser Chiefs from the Nubbit Lads and has a collection of saucy postcards personally signed by Four Heard. Oh. <laughs> it's Kevin Petch. I think they're up in the loft, Dave. Are they not, not framed? Not made no, they're not, not, not framed yet, no. And he gets phone calls from a magic band and he taught Dano how to make a proper cup of Yorkshire tea. It's Mr. William Asbury. Hello, David. Hello. Uh, disclaimer, not all those statements are true. Uh, by the way, if you want to find out more about the Keysauce test ring, part number 5282, we will put a link on the episode information page. Uh, it is all. a bit sad that Dammo's just died. This is why I put it in. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's a very sad week for us. Very much so. Yep. Oh, it's wonderful to have you back. Well, we weren't sure whether or not we'd have you with us today. We start every episode with No Sherbet Sherlock. This time we are recommending an album, an album, and a band that's made several albums. Bill, how obvious is your recommendation? Well, David, it depends on whether you're, you have a bias towards jazz rock, not really, in one sense. What I'm recommending is a new album by Soft Machine uh, called Other Doors. And we're talking about a bit of enigma here, because Soft Machine is that one of these bands, I think Fairport Convention might be another one really, that has no original members in it. And it, it sort of morphed out of a band called Soft Machine Legacy, which started off in the early years of this century. So it became known as Soft Machine in, 90, in um, 2018, which to mark the 50th anniversary of the first Soft Machine album, and as you, as listeners to our uh, programme might know, I've already talked about a gig I went to recently. I would like to say that uh, it actually has a number from the very first album, Kevin Ayres' instrumental, well, should I say bass solo, called Joy of a Toy. Yeah, it's very good as well, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a, a number which echoes the title of... Mm -hmm. um, Kevin's first album yeah. and Kevin being somebody else we've talked about and that yeah, first exactly. album. Yeah. Anyway, it's very, very good. Uh, it highlights their new bass player, Fred Baker, and it's his first studio recording with the band because the previous bass player has uh, left in 2021 called Roy Babington. It was also the swan song of John Marshall who uh, joined the band in in 1972 and was their third drummer 
and has been a consistent part of the band until recent years when sadly tours have been called off and you know replacement drummers have been there when you've expected him there and I think maybe at the age of 81 which he is now he was starting to ail a bit and so this is his last album with the band uh, most of the album is written by John Etheridge the guitarist and um, Theo Travis who replaced Elton Dean in the band and they still play very very commendable uh, reworkings of uh, classic soft machine tracks though there are only two on the new record the other one being uh, Penny Hitch which is a Carl Jenkins track from Soft Machine 7 otherwise they're all new numbers that's very good so uh, Kevin do you have something for us I do indeed, sir. Yes, sir. I'm going to talk about uh, Yusef Cat Stevens and his new album, King of the Land. Cat Stevens' 17th studio album uh, was released in June 2023 to great acclaim. And it's primarily um, an album aimed at children, really, spreading the word, word of peace. Um, in saying that, though, I found it a great listen. More Yusef than Cat Stevens, I would say, but essential listening for fans. Three songs were lifted from here as part of his Glastonbury set in Pagan Run, Highness and Take the World Apart. And they all went down really, really well. Train on a Hill and King of the Land, the title track, are the standouts for me. The whole album is beautifully played too. I was so pleased when Yusuf started recording again and his comeback albums are all really worth spending some time on, especially an other cup. Road Singer and The Laughing Apple. In 2020, Yusuf released Tea for the Tillerman 2, a reimagining of his classic album from 1970, which included a brilliant new version of Father and Son. It really is worth, worth listening to. So, King of the Land by Yusuf Cat Stevens is out now on Cat O'Log Records. <laughs> which all, I thought that was great. We all have a pun. <laughs> Very good. So I'm going to recommend a band, Explosions in the Sky. Formed in 99, briefly under a different name, this Texan instrumental band have no singer, no leader, and at time of recording, about to release their eighth studio album. Uh, their music's been featured very heavily on soundtracks for films and television. You've probably heard of them without even knowing, if you look up their discography and their, uh, their list of collaborations, it's, it's quite extensive. Um, they have been put into the divisive and by now really controversial post-rock genus, <laughs> although they have described themselves as a rock band. Uh, very guitar-driven, uh, synthesizers and effects are kept in check. Uh, for me, their music shows, if not direct influences by, you know, strong connections to serialism and minimalism, later free jazz. Their compositions are intricate, sprawling and always very emotional. Uh, they make music that takes you places. Uh, they are one of several interesting millennium bands notable for developing texture and tonal complexity with their compositions. Uh, and they have no eye on the clock. They just, their pieces aren't radio-friendly. Mm. Nothing's three and a half minutes. There probably are radio edits available, but their albums, they're kind of, you know, getting their own groove. Uh, from all their albums, I'm pushed to make a recommendation, but just on the title alone, I'd go for But All of a Sudden, I Miss Everyone, their fifth studio album. And look them up, they're, they're a fantastic band. 
They certainly sound like my sort of band. Don't they you? are. I'm surprised I've come across them. Well, I'd like to go and see them. Shall we go and see them? Um, they're playing off the top of my head, Manchester. We'll we'll check that out. Subject to arrangements in my personal life. <laughs> um, I'll just say briefly. This is my second recommendation in a short series of three. The first being Cigaros. So uh, another band in this ilk to come. So that was our soft kite explosion feature. On to our main feature. language is rather picturesque, but the meaning is perfect. You flatter yourself. In this first feature of this episode, we'll be discussing artists with long gaps between albums. Kevin. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, um, when this uh, topic came up, two names immediately sprung to mind for me. Uh, Vashti Bunyan and Linda Perhax, two very interesting lives here. Um, English singer-songwriter Vashti Bunyan's debut album, Just Another Diamond Day, um, came out on the Phillips record label in 1970. But sadly, it didn't do very well commercially, even though it was produced by somebody that we know very well, uh, Bill Joe Boyd. Yeah, the great Joe Boyd, Kevin. Mm. Um, I, I must just say that I think they didn't press up a lot of copies of it, actually. No, not that many, no. You know, so you can't do very well if you don't possible of no. copies mm. but joe boyd is the i'd say a, a great mind spring of british music even though he's this american yes and yeah. uh to be the sven galley to use these old terms which mm. make you think of some terrible sort of like uh, denmark street yeah. sort of horrible rip-off merchant guy he was he was the same age as a lot of his artists yeah and mm. an enthusiast yes yeah do we know why they pressed so few? Was it just that she was a new artist and they were just speculating what to do with her? Or I mean, she'd, she'd been around. She'd, she'd had a, a record uh, that was written by the uh, Keith Richards and uh, Mick Jagger. I wouldn't say they were successful records. It wasn't a very happy time for Vashti. Yeah, sadly, um, as, we, as we know, it, was, it wasn't very commercial. Um, Vashti got very disillusioned and, com- and just left the music industry completely. Well, well, I don't think I don't think Kevin, we could say it wasn't very commercial because there was a lot of not very commercial albums at that time mm. that sold a lot more copier than her albums. Yeah, but she wasn't promoting it. Yeah, sounds like a lot of people didn't really believe in it, or maybe it was just well, she didn't fi- believe in it. That didn't help, or mm. or she didn't. She had other fish to fry, like she had a mm. baby to have. Um, so she spent sort of the next thirty odd years bringing up her family, um, but during that time, her album, unbeknown to her, became much sought after on vinyl, selling in some instances for just under four thousand US dollars. It was finally re-released on Spinny Records in the year two thousand with bonus tracks. Uh, it's a brilliant album, and Vashti is joined by the likes of. Robin Williamson, who you, you'll know oh, well, yes, a founding yes, member yes. of the Incredible String Band. That's right. Yeah, Dave Swarbrick and the Fairport Convention, Simon Nicholl. So yeah. so a lot, lot of good people on there. Yeah, well, um, Dave Swarbrick would have been in Fairport Convention at mm-hmm. that time as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's best described as a collection of travelling songs as Vashti and her boyfriend, Robert Lewis, experienced their ups and downs on the road via horse and cart. 
They were going to join Donovan's commune up in the Hebrides, but it didn't work out as planned, as Vashti put it, from South London up to the Hebrides, initially to Skye, but we carried on to the Outer Hebrides, which is quite a journey, really, isn't it? It certainly is, yeah. And then, yeah. And then they ended up in a very barren place. Mm. And just, mm. sorry, just to clarify, because I, I know a bit about Vashti, but not a bit, that was in a horse and caravan? <laughs> Yes, like a well, it was like a horse and cart, really. Well, he was a, no, he's a converted it, bread van. Yes, you know, horse-drawn bread van. That uh, for anybody who doesn't know the geography of the UK, that's an incredible uh, journey. Well, he took them yeah. nearly uh, about a year and a half or something, two years. That, yeah. But the uh, point of this uh, topic, um, the world actually had to wait thirty-five years for Vashti's second album entitled Look After Him, which was released in 2005. It's a long time. It certainly is, Kevin. Really, really long time. Diamond Day, um, sort of the, the main track off the album, the, 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 it's called Another Diamond Day, but the actual track is just Diamond Day, was, was used in a T-Mobile advert during, the, two, during to the 2000s, which sparked even more interest in her. Um, and she also began working with folk musicians of the calibre of Devendra uh, Banhart and Joanne Newsom. Though Vashti has always maintained that she is not a folk singer. Um, Vashti's final album, Heart Sleep, came in 2014. Beautiful album. Um, her daughter, uh, Wynne, also did, did the artwork for, for that album. I've never heard that album, actually, Kevin. Have you not heard no, Heart Sleep? I'd love to, I'd love to. Heart, I, shall, I shall lend it to you, sir. It's, it's, it's a lovely album. So I I think all all three albums are essential listening. I think I think the 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 far, the far ahead of the time, in some ways, they're just just beautiful music. Really, it really is beautiful. Moving on to Linda Perhax, her album Parallelograms. Uh, her life kind of mirrors Vashti's in a way. Um, uh, Parallelograms came out in 1970, but like Vashti's, it didn't sell that well. Um, she was working as a dental hygienist at the time when she was discovered by one of her patients, the Oscar-winning film and television composer Leonard. Let me get this right, Leonard Rosenman. Um, he composed scores for James Dean's *East of Eden* and *Rebel Without a Cause*, amongst other things. Um, but when her album sort of failed to, well, to make any money really, uh, she just went back to her dental career again. So like uh, Just Another Diamond Day, Parallelograms was re-released in the year 2000 and it was all, all expanded like, like they do these days. A second album, The Soul of All Natural Things, came out in 2014, 44 years later, Bill. Goodness. 44 years. And she's somebody who writes her own, all her own material because mm. I know nothing about her, really. Mm. Mm. Oh, she's 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 brilliant. She really is. And, what, and she plays what instrument does she play? She plays plays guitar on on the first album, but right. it looks like um, she she's just singing on the on the other two albums oh, right. now, okay. nowadays. Okay, but yeah, so yeah, th- those three albums from uh, Linda certainly worth a listen. All oh, right, really, yes, really, yes, really oh, good. Oh. What, what what sort of music would she be bagged as? <laughs> well, it, it's kind of. So psychedelic folk, so it's in there, it's in with the, the folk thing. So, um, others of note, Bill, Abba. Oh, goodness, yes, of course. 40 years. Yeah, yeah, even though they've come back as spectres. 
<laughs> well, yeah, they have, not They've come back as avatars. That's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> An avatar. <laughs> yeah, so the visitors, 1981. Wow. That was their last one. And then the voyage came out in 2021, oh. kind of because of the avatar, avatar thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, 40 years. Goodness, uh, and I thought they'd gone away forever. Well, they, they, they kind of all did different things, didn't they? The two guys yeah, did, they did. They, they wrote chess, didn't they? The musical. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I, I'm, I was glad to see them back. I really was. Well, I've never really been a fan. It's also worth pointing out with this uh, discussing ABBA that there's a difference between the people we've been discussing previously who just leave the music industry. They just go. Yes. And like ABBA, a good example, being they, they diversified. They had solo mm. albums and mm. they had other projects going on and production mm. and so on. Mm. Oh, sorry, I was just about to say they're a bit like you, pop music as an industry. If you want to see like the Volvo of pop music, mm. it's a bit like the Tamla Motown thing. It was yeah. like a factory, yeah. the manager, yeah. it's all planned and mm. like a planned salt on the world that works, yeah. you know. I mean, it was kind of Euro pop, though, wasn't it? You know, yeah. As, as opposed well, to the first one was Waterloo, wasn't it? On the, uh, <coughs> on the Eurovision, the Euro, yeah, yeah. Mm, mm. Which was which was great. Yeah, it was all right if you like yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, obviously, lots of people did because if we think about the uh, <laughs> artists we've talked about so far, uh, I suspect Abba's sales are a little bit ahead. Slightly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm I'm the yeah. loss leader guy. <laughs> You're <on> the margins. <laughs> oh dear, dear. Yeah, yeah. That makes me say, any other examples, Kevin? Yes, Dave, moving swiftly on. (laughs) Um, Paul Jones. Oh, the great Paul Jones. The great Paul Jones. Of course, he he, he had a kind of acting career anyway, didn't he? He did. Which I think he moved into a bit. After after Manfred Mann, after he sort of left Manfred Mann. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, he did do some some film appearances, but he tried to have a solo career, didn't he? Oh, yeah, most definitely, yeah. yeah. yeah, Bad, bad boy. Bad, bad boy, yeah, yeah. I mean, it did, it did pretty well. It did pretty yeah, well. Yeah, until it sank. Mm-hmm. But his uh, his solo album, the last solo album that he, he made was Crucifix on a Horseshoe. 2009, he came up with a, n- a new album, Starting All Over Again, which is a good, good title, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's almost like some other mm. famous person we know. <laughs> <laughs> or new. Or new, yeah. Um, so, yeah, brought uh, brought uh, his trusty harmonica came along with him, which which I think is fabulous. I think he's one of the oh, best no, harmonica yeah, players on the planet, really. Uh, well, I'm always very, very, very um, reluctant to say best about things. Mm. I mean, he's really one of the great harmonica mm. players. But Superb. So is Keith Ralph, and so was Brian Jones, and mm-hmm. so was quite mm. a few others. Lovely guy, anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I've heard him do a total... Um, uh, solo harmonica at the High mm. Park Cinema. Yeah, yeah. They had a little blues festival years wow. ago. Wow, I bet that was well. Two special. one one. It was two days. One day was uh, with him and uh, Dave Kelly as a duo, which they used to do some gigs. As yeah, duos. I've seen them as a duo. Yeah, and yeah. then the next day was an audience with Paul Jones, <sighs> and uh, after wow. the Q and A at the end of it, mm. he mm. did a, a solo harmonica. It was like kind of wild jazz. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it does back up what you're saying about how great as harmonica mm. player is. Uh, kind of moving, sort of. Um, yeah. <laughs> when I looked at this, I thought to myself, "Oh, you know, they're quite a recent band." But then I looked at the dates, Skids. Yeah, that's, oh, yeah, I the can Skids. See, I can it's, see it's, that. Yeah, it's another one of those bands that have dropped the the. <laughs> oh, <laughs> not right, not yeah. mentioning the the. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, Skids Joy uh, came out in 1981, and then Burning Cities. 2018, 37 years. Right. That's a long, long time. 
I mean, it's interesting to know to know about um, the skids or skids that sort of the late great Stuart Anderson. He, he was a member and then left um, to form Big Country. That's right. Which, yeah. was, which was another another great. Well, they were very great, popular, great. weren't they? They even yeah. reformed. But yeah, good stuff. Have you got anything, anybody, Bill? Well, yes, I have actually. Well, there's uh, there's Cat Stevens Yusef. Yeah, I, I'd say that it, when he stopped making um, records in 1978 with Back to Earth, mm. and then I think he, another cop. I know he did do some sort of very, sort of, uh, you know, cle- uh, niche Islamic album in mm. the 90s. Mm. Um, I've, know, I've not heard it. I've, no, I've, and he I've came never. back. When what year was another cop? Because I know that's a fame a favourite of yours. And that's it, it, as Yosef. It's early 2000s. Yeah, that is a, yeah. as Yosef. So well, what, do we know what year another cup was? Where, where, where's our man that sort of looks these things up while we're talking? You're all looking at me for some reason. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm on a different page now. I'm on Virginia Astley. <laughs> all right. Um, I'll come back to that. If we, okay. we, gap, we gap between albums for um, Yosef. But, but it used to be about sort of three or so years before he starts to call himself Cat Stevens, Yosef, doesn't he? Mm. With that uh, reboot of some of the earlier Mona, Mona Jackon type tracks and things. Yeah, yeah. And and he also brought out the um, Teeth of the Tillerman 2 as well. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Quite recently, yeah. which which was very, very good. Yeah. Very, yeah. very different. Um, sort of versions so of all the songs. So there's three, another cup, and then there's the... Um, Road Singer. Road Singer, and then, yeah. the, and then there's the blues album, isn't there? There's, there's that blues album, yeah. He yeah. went on Paul Jones, you know, when he did the blues album. He went on Paul Jones, oh, right. did he? You yeah. Know? Yeah. He wasn't singing or anything, but he was gave a bit... Oh, they played a track, I think, mm. but he did a big talk with Paul. Right. He wouldn't think of him in that, but mm. he started talking about his very early days, and like a lot of them... Started off like Mr. Bowie, for instance, mm. or Mr. Jones. Mm. Started off in a, a rhythm and blues band. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. And my next person is Buffy St. Marie. <gasps> who, you know, uh, incredible who vocalist, we, so, uh, songwriter, musician, human being, human, human being. being. Yeah, uh, somebody we could do a feature about. Actually, mm. Mm. I mean, she gave up music to concentrate on indigenous peoples' rights. Yeah, mm. it was her last record was the uh, Sweet America in 1976. Right. And then she came back with Coincidence and Lightly Stories in 1992. Well, I think she had some soundtrack album in between. Yeah, right. Um, but uh, and when she came back, I mean, she was right there with samples. She made mm. part of the record on the internet, which was yeah. a new thing in those yeah. days. She moved with the times. Yeah, she definitely moves with the yeah. times. And both, bookend, mm. they both got yeah. they both got Star Walker on this uh, mm. track, and that's become a theme song for uh, an indigenous people's sort of like radical front type organisation. It's mm. become their mm. theme tune. Well, I, I first became aware of Buffy on, on Soldier Blue. Well, yes. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, what a song! Yeah, it's a great song. And so a, so good. And of course, a lot of people became aware of her with Universal Soldier without of even course, knowing it was. Without even knowing who they it was, they thought it was Donovan. Yeah. Yes, well, yeah, he did cover it, didn't he? Mm. Dave, have you got anything? Have you got anybody? I think any, he was meant to find. Uh, he was going to find some facts out for us. Actually. Was I doing Cat? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Uh, yes. So, Back to Earth was 1978. Get my uh, mic in right position. And then he's um, Harold and Maud was 2007 the soundtrack, which didn't really come out until recently, did it? it no, 
he didn't want it to come out for some reason. I think it was a lot of it that if he felt it was unfinished. Some of well, the they're stuff. In, they're in a lot. I always felt that uh, some of the songs might be songs he'd already done. Mm. You know, like there are always some soundtracks. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So his next, his own natural release is uh, the Laughing Apple in 2017. Yes, yeah, so yeah, that's the quite one. A significant bit. Yeah. There's um, um, a special of Tell Tell Em I'm Gone, a one-hour radio special, but that's just a re-release of something from earlier. Right. Right. So, yeah, it could be crap. I mean, sadly, I haven't got anything of these sort of duration. Most people I'm into chug along. We mentioned Massive Attack earlier, but there's not much of a gap between them um, yeah. before we recorded about Massive Attack. Um, Virginia Astley... It's quite a fringe artist. I'm mm. quite into. She had a, just about ten years uh, gap when she wasn't doing anything at all. Yeah, 1996 uh, had Evans, and then she didn't come back until 2006. Mm. Leftfield had quite a big gap, but I mean, they were quite busy doing other things. They didn't leave the industry. So yeah, these these ones you're mentioning are all quite stand out. They are, aren't they? The, yeah. The, yeah, there's a there's a lot of years. Well, of course, we haven't met. We haven't mentioned there's tons of rock bands that kind of, you know, break up and then decide they're short of money and come yeah, back. And yeah, then for commercial reasons. And then there's that. hardly any of them in it, you know. Or, or, well, that's the thing, know, isn't that it? That, that, thing, that's you know. the problem, isn't it? I mean, sometimes when when you think about it, some some of these people might have been in it longer than the original people in the end. But oh yeah, well that's the same with the searches, isn't it? Yeah. I think there's um, mm. all the Hollies, you know. Yeah. yeah. There's uh, the the guy that we think is the main drummer in the Hollies, wasn't the original drummer? Yeah, exactly. Or uh, in the searches, there's a. I mean, she's at least mm. one search has been in a few mm. decades that wasn't in mm. it originally. I've just got one more to add. Oh, I've got, sorry, yes. The Brazilos. Oh, right, well, yeah, yes. Um, the self-titled album, 1978, and then Zero in 2015, 37 years after. I mean, I, I saw the I saw the, the, the Brazilos at, at, hmm, several years ago at the Brudenell Social Club in Leeds, and they were absolutely brilliant. They, they were so good, and... You know, it's nice when when they come back like that. Had you seen them? Oh no, I'd never days. seen them before. No, no, no I'd, I, I'd, 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 I'd listened to the records and heard about them and everything, but never. Yeah, they they pricked to my ears back in when they seventy eight, whenever mm. they were, uh, but I never saw them. I thought they seemed mm. fun, just because yeah. they were fun. But something else just occurred to me, though she probably hadn't got a big stretch, but um, Patty Smith actually gave up in a big way to become, you know, have babies and things like right. that, didn't yeah. she? Yeah. So, I mean, there's the dream of life was a few years after after Wave, mm. but then she didn't really make another one until, uh, as it's uh, gone again, right. I think the next one. It's quite a long, a reasonably long period. Mm. Mm. I mean, she's she got back quite regularly then. Yeah. Mm. But she did give up for, uh, in, a, in, in a, more than Miles Davis did. Right. Yeah, I mean, I used to think that was long, five years. <laughs> five years, But yeah, it doesn't seem yeah. long now. No, no, no. Quite an interesting subject, that, Dave. Thanks so much, lads. But don't hesitate to call on me any time you need help. Or maybe just plain bored. And this is Will There Be Wine and Cheese... Forever searching for things to go to, hopefully with free food. Kevin, <laughs> was there any free food at the gig you went to? No. Well, let down. Any other yeah. bonus points? Um, yes. 
<laughs> I shall go into that now, shall I? Please do. <laughs> right. I have two things to be thankful to Catherine Blake for. Yes, Bill. <laughs> um, firstly, performing around the Sex Garden in 1990, and then again for co-founding the Medieval Babes with Dorothy Carter in 1996. I mean, don't get any better than that, does it, really? Yeah. Um, sadly, I never saw um, Miranda Sex Garden first time around, but I was struck immediately by their blonde of madrigals intertwined with industrial rock. It's, it sounds really amazing, doesn't it? And, and, it, and it is. Now, over two decades later, my time had come to hear the likes of Peep Show being played live. Sadly, the gig wasn't that well attended, which is a crying shame as it is one of, one of the best evenings I've spent out for a long time. Catherine was in fine voice as always. Um, she was joined on stage by Teresa Casella on bass, Mike Savant on keyboards, Trevor Sharp on drums and Beverly Harling on violin. Sadly, Ben Golomstock, the founding guitarist, passed away in 2018. His place was taken by Kavas Tarobi. You might know this guy, uh, Bill. Um, He's also been associated with acts like Gong and Cad and the Cardiacs. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant guitarist. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He's from supply. South America, isn't he? I think so, yeah. yeah he it's worked with David Allen, I think, before he was in the Mob yeah, and Gong. Yeah, uh, but yeah, um, he, he was outstanding. He really I don't think was. I've ever heard anybody say the name first. That's why I kind of blanked over for a, yeah, a, a yeah. nanosecond there. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he, he, was, he, was, he was brilliant and great to watch as well. Um, to us fans, it was the, the set list that we all craved for, including Wooden Boat, All There Is, Broken Glass and Cut, all, all fantastic tracks. Um, two supports in Christine Young and Bleeding Blackwood were, were both fabulous and fitted into the night seamlessly. Really, really good choice of, uh, of supports there. All in all, an unforgettable night. Trouble is, it should have been a sellout, but, you know, I thought you were about to say it should have been twice as long. Yeah, um, well, we've all been to gigs like that, haven't yeah. we? I did miss my boss. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> he, he was that good. He was that good. I did you had to get a taxi. I did. Mm. All right. Yeah. So talking of travel, Bill, you negotiated uh, passage to London. That's right. Um, you know, we're, I've already given some reviews of some of the things I've seen down that end. Now, this is a bit strange compared to the others. This is a kind of a, a blow-up review. Now, this isn't a terrorist act. This is a... Well, it kind of goes back to our Antonio world mm -hmm. because the film Blow Up famously features a park uh, which uh, is near Greenwich and it's called Marion Park or Marion. It's mm. got a Y in it. Mm. And I've always wanted to go there ever since one of my friends who did a, a programme about sort of a Blow Up uh, you know, told me about the Blow Up Trail, as she called it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I went there to... Uh, Merriam Park and uh, skipped around on the same steps that David Hemmings skipped around on. Well, at least I hope I did. Saw the tennis courts where the imaginary tennis game is played. Very I surreal. mean, this is <laughs> very surreal. Uh, for those, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the, the thing is, you know, I mean, some people say, oh, he's just been to a park, it's in a film, but Blow Up is, and I hate using this word, a very iconic 1960s film. It is true. Uh, I mean, Case to point, Alfred mm. Hitchcock thought it was a wonderful film. Mm. Uh, and so going to this park was amazing. You know, mm. this is mm. where David Hemmings finds the 
mythical corpse, which is at the core of the film, mm. where he makes mm. these photographs that he blows up. Mm. Yes, uh, so I could only recommend it, really, suppose, to uh, 60s uh, fans and Anzoni only who fans, really. Who've got a spare hour in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is, an, it is a bit off the beaten track. Mm. It's quite near uh, Greenwich and Blackheath. It's not right in the centre. Mm. You know, and it, but it's a really bizarre park anyway. With um, you know, you can look it up on the internet, and there's still lots of interesting uh, history to do with it, like a hill which seems mm. to hang people from, and mm. you know. So turning into TripAdvisor, we could also recommend visiting the uh, Royal Observatory and the Greenwich Park and the um, Thames Barrier. Yes, yeah, but you're not too far away. Which my dad built, but that's by the by. Mm. Now it's interesting, of course, this yeah. whole thing about yeah. visiting locations. I mean, if. I mean, we're not very far from um, a certain soap opera. In fact, two certain soap operas in this part of the world mm. where you can go on tours and coach parties turn up. Mm. And we have... Uh, it was a moving feast, or is that the right word for yeah, it? Yeah. The feast has moved about three or four times, hasn't it? The one we're thinking of, yeah. So yeah, yeah. They're, on a, they're on a permanent location now. It's all very obscure. Because they built it like a wild west town, haven't they? Yeah, it's Emmerdale Farm we're talking yeah. about, or yeah, Emmerdale, yeah, yeah. whatever the hell it's called nowadays. Did they drop the farm? Yeah, they have done. Oh, yeah. they dropped it years ago. When it's they no longer having sort of uh, you know intrigue and smut in it. We're having sheep. Emmerdale. Yeah, yeah. Sheep is what it was all about when I was a lad. Mm, I mean, we're a long way from Bloop now. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think I should head us off in a different direction completely. Yeah. Uh, to briefly recommend uh, Sullivan Faulkner, who is on tour in winter through to spring, twenty twenty four. He's a jazz pianist and band leader and has a very long list of impressive collaborations with jazz musicians and bands. Uh, well worth looking up. He's released four albums and has appeared on well over 20 of us as a sideman. Going back 20 years. Uh, links on our webpage, which we always keep promising. One day. Oh, they'll be there. Hey, yeah, shall yeah. we go? Uh, I think it's the... Oh, it might be the 10th. Uh, this is his birthday. All right. I don't okay. think Lisa's going to it. Okay, then. Yeah, then. Well, this has been a rambling, rambling section. I'm going to press a stop button, bring it to an end. It's as if he were reaching for something, something specific. I don't understand it. They'll be masterpieces. We call our second feature with Thanks To, where we focus on one artist. Uh, this episode, it's Kevin on Lindsay Anderson. Over to you. Thank you, Dave. Yes, the uh, the late great Lindsay Anderson, um, born in nineteen twenty three in India. Um, obviously, he came he came back to England, uh, became um, a major player in free free cinema and the British New Wave. Um, one of his first sort of after after the the free cinema, which were all sorts of a collection of small. Um, freeform films um it came up with this sport in life which was made in 1963 um set in wakefield uh, with richard harris in his first and probably his best film i would say there's always that kind of film always comes under the banner of the kitchen sink drama which i'm not really sure is well i i i kevin find that that's i mean, it's from my own childhood really I was born in 1955 and I remember adults sort of banding that phrase around. And I, mm. in my later life, I felt it's sort of like a put-down. Yeah. 
you yeah. know, because lots of those films are about working class subjects, mm. um, you know, with people talking about the real emotional things going on mm. with them. And I, I want a way as a way of dissing those films with people that wanted more adventurous films, you mm. know. I mean, adventurous in the sense that there were adventures like Lawrence Arabia or, um, you know, some sort of uh, Sanders of the River, you mm. know, sort mm. of like, you know, she or... Yeah. Or something, you know. But when you start talking about sort of films like A Kind of Loving and... Uh, Billy, Billy Liar. Um, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Saturday night, Sunday morning. Yeah, that kind or of taste of honey. Taste of famous, honey. Famous one. Um, Georgia Girl. I don't um, know. Could that, that a bit could... later? I mean, yeah. You start. You start. Well, taste of honey is a very early one. Mm, mm. And then you have uh, Loneliness and Long Distance Runner. Yes, brilliant film. But when you look at uh, this spot in life, it's a brutal film. Yes, it is, and, and we should remember the, the co-star Rachel Roberts. Yeah, she was a quite a, a sort of luminary in those mm. sort of films. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, she's in well, she's in um, Saturday Night Sunday Morning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I must ask you, Kevin, because I'm I, I'm not totally clear, but you know, this kind of British free cinema and these shorts mm. were these things he made in the fifties then. They were sort of yeah, late fifties, um, like, like little art films. Yeah, they they, they didn't have. What, there was I'm trying to remember. There was one that was a, like a jazz, a jazz film, but it, but it was there was no plot or anything. Oh, to I've it. seen that. Have you seen it? Mama, yeah. Ma, Mama doesn't want no jazz bands playing in here. I think it's called. I think that's the one. Yeah, yeah. 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 Who's that by? Because I've seen it as an extra on one of these other films. Yeah. Uh, the actually title is Mama Don't Allow. And the free cinema movement, it was more documentary making yeah. and social realism. Yes. Mm. Mm. I mean, when, when, you look, when you look back at uh, his career, it, it, it sort of came up in 1967 with The, the White Bus, which was a short, a short film. Uh, also the, uh, the debut for Sir, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Oh, he's, he's very briefly, though, isn't he? Yeah. In, yeah. But that was his, 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 his first sort of foray into surrealism. I would right. have said, I would have yes. said. Um, a lot going on there, the black and white colour thing. So, Kevin, is uh, the white bus feature length? Uh, no, Dave, um, the, the white bus comes in at 47 minutes. Um, it, they seem to go back to the, the, the short film genre, just just for this um, you know, particular production. But it was kind of a stepping stone to, to the, the trilogy that we're going to talk about next, the Mick Travis trilogy. Um, all of the, the three films we're going to talk about uh, were starred Malcolm McDowell. Um, we kicked off first with If, which was a brilliant film. Again, the, there was an um, issue that they, they had in um, in The White Bus. Uh, there, there was sort of two main sort of talking points about it. One, that the, the black and white photography was used because um, they ran out of money. And the second being that um, there was some kind of symbolism in the, uh, the the use of black and white footage within the film. What, what do you think about that? Well, just opposed to colour. Well, I, yeah. I I originally thought that when I saw it, mm. you know, because I was open to the weirdness. It's mm. mm. um, only subsequently somebody told me, oh, it's because they ran out of money for the colour stock. Mm. And of course, you know, it was like that in those days. Now you'd run out of money for the black and white stock or in more recent Nowadays times. Nowadays you would, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. 
I like to think it was done there for artistic effect. And when I saw mm. the white bust, which I didn't see until relatively recently, mm. whereas I saw if years ago, mm. first of all, um, and saw that had black and white hand colouring, it to me made out that it was there for artistic reasons. Yes, yeah. There's one other aspect of if which I'd just like to briefly mention, which you might be going to mention, is that because my auntie um, was an English teacher who was born in 1928, so she was like, you know, not quite as old as him, but she thought it was a good film, mm. if. And she had the LP of the Miss Aluba because of that, this African okay. music. Yeah, yeah. And that was seen as quite innovatory at the time, mm. having this rhythmical African choral and choral music on it, wasn't it? Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. In some sort of way. Yeah. I mean, the, the second film, Oh Lucky Man, that had a bit of a, 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 a strange approach in that, Alan Price wrote the songs throughout the, throughout the film. He kept coming back after after scenes and that they kept coming back and doing a song, then it going back into the film again and then vice versa. I thought it was quite an, an interesting way of, of going about it, but um, I, I, it, I didn't see it coming because it was compl completely different to the other two films. Well, I haven't seen it for a long time. Are we talking about songs that appear on the soundtrack? Because I know Alan Price yes. is there yeah. with his band in it. Because yeah. I remember the phrase, aggravate the gravel when they're driving off. Mm. Um, and also, the actual song, Oh Lucky Man, was that, did that get in the charts? I think it did, actually, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Um, yeah. on an Animals Reformation mm. album uh, that came out in the early 80s, they had Oh Lucky Man on it, mm. you know, as a... Mm. Little sop to Alan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a great record. It really. Yeah, it is. is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. It is a good one. Fabulous. Yeah. So you've got this trilogy. You've got Malcolm McDowell in the in the first film. He's at public school. The second film, at the beginning, is is a coffee salesman, and then, I don't know how to describe Britannia Hospital. Really, it's a bit it's a bit like Frankenstein, as far as I'm concerned. Are you sure? Well, again. It's the one that I have uh, the longest time has gone since I saw it. Mm. I once had it on video mm. on VHS, and but I, I know what you're meaning about the Frankenstein elements. Um, that's because there's a kind of private hospital. It's like a kind of indictment on the sort of like the sort of destroying the NHS in a way, yeah, or, yeah, that, or allowing yeah. sort of mm. consultants to do things that, you know, nobody knows what they're doing and making yeah. money. Yeah, yeah. And, like, there's this consultant that has a secret hospital in there mm, or something mm, and mm. Like he's building something in there, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> But then, I mean, sort of, as, as with modern day, there's um, picket lines and stuff, people on picket lines. Uh, and, and sort of um, Malcolm McDowell's like a, a roving reporter, isn't he? That yes. He wants to get in this secret place. He wants to get in place, the yeah. secret place, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the um, protesters, the picket lines, aren't they protesting against one of the patients? Mm. Um, an African dictator, I think it is. Yes, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I loved Britannia Hospital. Again, um, completely different to the other two films, but when you watch them as a whole, it, 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 it's, it just all fits together. Well, yeah, because even though they, you could say that uh, Mike Travis... Mm. Is is diff? He's got the same name, maybe. Yeah. But mm. he's a different aspect. He's a different guy. Yes. Yeah. And he's another 
sort of player out of the out of the English sort of societal theatre, isn't mm. he? Mm. If you want to put it like that, yeah, yeah. You know, he's this public school guy to start off with, mm. um, and then he becomes this sort of like old Mister Average, yeah, in a yeah, way, yeah. And then he's this investigative reporter later on, mm. you know. Mm. Mm. I mean, could it? I don't know. Could it be a different person, or is it the same person? I don't think it really matters. It doesn't uh, really Kevin, matter. You know, yeah. No, because he, he's an allegory, isn't it? Mm. In mm. one sense. Mm. So they're tied together with the name. Mm. They're tied together with the distinctive persona of Malcolm McDowell. Yes, he's like one of the enfants terribles of the time, oh, isn't he? You know. Right. Yeah. And the Yorkshireman. Mm. I wonder if uh, Stanley Kubrick picked him for for Alex in A Clockwork Orange because of seeing him in these. Oh, he films. did. He did definitely. He did. I, right. I've I've seen that somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, he definitely did. Because he couldn't have got anybody better. No, no, no. It was it was no, it was br- it was absolutely brilliant. And of course, in between mm. those films, he made that one called Bitter Moon. The, the the one with the disabled yeah yeah, yeah no yeah, that's yeah. Uh, you know a very interesting yeah film. it's a good good film in be, mm. in that it's about disabled people mm. and it comes out with some of the attitudes and things mm. Brian mm. Forbes directed it yes as N- N- Nanette yes. Newman who yeah. I now realise was part of the Brian Forbes package I mm. know oh, they were married weren't they mm. Mm. I heard a funny story about that well actually it was related by Nanette Newman in one of the extras on the DVD that uh, Malcolm McDowell was in his wheelchair for some reason or other and uh, a parade of church-type people, maybe uh, fronted by the Archbishop of Canterbury, came past and he suddenly leapt out of his wheelchair and said, I'm healed! You know, and <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. So, um, I was just going to ask, is there a consistent theme of surreal humour throughout all three films? So I know the Pretending Hospital is very surreal. Yeah, oh, yes. Yeah, um, well, yeah, Presenting Hospital was very surreal, but it all, all started off in If. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a particular scene, I won't, I won't go into it, but there's a particular scene with uh, Arthur Law uh, that has to be seen to be believed. You you, you just don't realise that he's there. He's a good egg, yeah. isn't he? Arthur oh, yes. I mean, yeah. people that just know him from da- Dad's Army, Dad's Army. will think mm. of this fusty old British actor. Yeah, yeah. But he, he was in some really weird things. Well, mm. he's in the White Bus, for starters. He's yeah, he is. Mayor. He is the Lord Mayor, isn't he? But yeah. he but he's yeah. in other things, you know. He's mm. in um, The Ruling Class, mm. you know, where he plays the butler mm. to uh, sort of uh, Peter O'Toole's father, who sort of is into some autosexual practice <laughs> at the beginning. <laughs> The swinging legs and the tutu. All right. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's lost as our safe rating on the uh, podcast. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so later work, uh, believe it or not, um, Wham in China, Foreign Skies, 1986, the documentary, Lindsay Anderson. And what's yeah. that about then? It's about a tour of China. Yeah, with George Michael and... Oh, wham! The group. wham! The group. Oh, oh, sorry, right. yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. Oh, bless you, Bill. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, I'm saying. Well, I thought it was yeah. that was the name of it, you know, mm. wham. Yeah. you know, just think how surreal it could be, and yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, I've only ever seen it once. Have you seen it at all, Dave? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> See, I was never a big fan of wham. Anyway. Uh, likewise. Yeah. Oh, I like George. George's an okay guy. Yeah. 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 No, I've never been a fan. 
Sorry. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, as an aside, why I thought he was a good songwriter is on one of um, Joan Bias's albums from the 80s. Mm. She did an acoustic version of a George Michael song. Okay. And when you hear an acoustic version of somebody's song, it, it was one of these kind of bring the world together type songs. Mm. Mm. It sort of brings out the basic kind of songwriting qualities, you know. Right. Which yeah. impressed yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not uh, an affect, affect, uh can't think of the right word, but I'm not a big fan either. No. You know. No. It's not like, it's just not my kind of music, that's all. But yeah. Um, so back to Lindsay. Um, final film the, the Wales of August from 1987, with two amazing ladies. Bet Davis and Lillian Gish, the silent movie star, coming together playing sisters. More than a silent movie star, she's like a, a silent m- movie star from just when they started having stars. Yeah, know? yeah, she was, know, before she was, they had stars. Yeah, really. she was. She was the the, the, worked, the real deal. She worked with yeah. Griffiths before he did his um, his big epics. Mm, you know, mm, yeah, uh, when he's doing his biograph things, she mm. came in at the end of that. Mm. And everybody used to muck in, you know. And was she in the wind? Can you remember? She was in the wind she was by in, Victor yeah, yeah. Stronheim. Yes, yeah. Who did the Phantom Carriage? Yes. The Danish man. Very, very good film. Yeah, and the very what the wind or the, the Phantom wind, Carriage. The wind. Yeah, and they're both yeah. very good films. Yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was his American film. Mm, mm. Like today, right? If uh, somebody in Europe makes a good film and mm. things. Hollywood either copies the film or they woo the director mm. over mm. and sometimes that can be the end of their career in artistic yeah. films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sadly, uh, Lindsay Anderson died in 1994. I'd like to put him up there with the likes of Ken Russell, Nicholas Rogue, Alan Parker, people like that. Well, if you if you mention Nicholas Rogue, of course, Nicholas Rogue was a cameraman on Sporting Life. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because he was a cameraman before mm. he became a film director. Yeah, he was indeed. And yeah. he was a cameraman on quite a few famous mm. films, mm. you know, before he became a director. Right. You know. Mm. Yes, he was, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. Fahrenheit 451, mm. for instance. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, I think he had a glorious career. I think he, he touched everything. That, you know, he was well, pro- I, prolific in the theatre. Well, I presume after the uh, 1987 film with Leon and Gieschen and that he didn't just do nothing then. I imagine, imagine he did some more theatre. Yeah, it was throughout his life. He was just going, going backwards and forwards. When was he born? 1923? 1923 in India, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. There is um, a documentary uh, that uh, Malcolm McDowell made about the times that he had with... Uh, with Lindsay in, in the film, so I think we should put that on the notes for, for later. Yeah. Have you got that then? I haven't got it. All right. No, I don't okay. think I have actually. I've seen it, but I haven't got it. Right. But yeah, we should definitely put that on, on, in the notes, shouldn't we, Dave? Yep, we should explain that we're hoping to have a 52H2 web page with extensive notes of the things we talk about. Um, this is for the future. We're <laughs> We're quite ambitious, but we'll see what we get together. So that was Lindsay Anderson. Lindsay Anderson. Thank you very much, Lindsay Anderson. Thank you. Music, singing, gibberish. In this section, I haven't heard of it either. We are here to recommend things you wish you'd heard years ago. And I'm going to start off with Kate Le Bon and one particular track 
That Moon. Welsh musician and producer, currently living in the US, with six solo albums alongside a long and impressive list of collaborations. Uh, for me, her compositions and lyrics and guitar playing are often sublime. It has been said that there's a nervousness in her songs. I haven't picked up on that, although perhaps I haven't listened to everything she's done. I think sometimes there is disappointment in situations and people, but also, oh, I was going to say hope, but actually it's a mature optimism. Uh, there's a lot of depth in Kate's work, and this is evident in this 2012 release, uh, That Moon. It has that category of melancholy, which makes you have a little smile or you just get deeply involved in the track. Uh, there's something amiss in this song, something's gone wrong. Um, we're in a changed world, but it's okay. You know, there's, there's still there's still something to hang on to. Uh, so yeah, fantastic discography, um, long career, uh, but you know this is a good track to start off with. Uh, Kevin, you have another female artist. I do. I'm going to talk about Harkin and Honeymoon Suite. Harkin's Honeymoon Suite, released just over a year ago, sees Harkin going in a very different direction from her first self-titled solo album released in 2020. That first solo effort, mostly guitar-led and upbeat, is a reminder of just how great Katie Harkin was in her early indie rock days as the singer and guitarist of Sky Larkin, a trio who released three brilliant albums on Wichita, um, that was between 2009 and 2013, having formed in Leeds in 2005. Um, Harkin has come a long way since, working with the likes of Courtney Barrett, Sleater Kinney, and Wild Beasts as a touring member. Um, Honeymoon Suite was recorded, as the sleeve notes say, at home in 2020 and 2021, and is best described as probably like electronica-based. Uh, it's very much darker in tone than her first solo offering, especially on side two, if you were to listen to it on vinyl. I absolutely love this album. I haven't stopped playing it since I got it. Uh, Body Clock is a fabulous opener, and A New Day Follows, drenched with some sublime guitar playing. I adore the lyric on Give Me the Streets of Leeds, and Driving Down a Flight of Stairs, the final track on the album and an instrumental to boot, clocks in at 11 minutes and 16 seconds. It just leaves one thinking, what can we expect from Harkin next? Um, yeah, fantastic. Go go, go buy some Harkin. Uh, Honeymoon Suite uh, is out now on Hand Mirror Records. Thanks so much, Kevin. And I think, Bill, you have another Welsh female artist on us. Yes, I do, David. Um, and I'm returning to Leeds City Art Gallery. That's because as a youngster, I noticed this uh, painting of a woman by an artist called Gwen John. And my auntie said, oh, she's the sister of the more famous artist Augustus John, which I don't think a lot of people have heard about now anyway. But um, and, and she, she's much better, some people think, than he was. You know, I, she was a kind of proto-feminist, my auntie. And uh, anyway, you can still see this painting today if you've got binoculars at Leeds City Art Gallery and the way they uh, have their sort of... Perennial artwork. They're all very high, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, very high. (laughs) Well, especially Gwen. Anyway, um, Gwen was Welsh, yes. She was born in uh, 1876 in Haverfords West, but died 
in Dieppe, France, after living most of her life in France. Uh, her paintings were what you might call post-impressionist. Um, she seemed to paint mostly unknown women, and her style never really very much varied, even if the art world around her was changing radically. Since she met Matisse, Picasso, Bakuzi, Rilke, but uh, she didn't really take on any of these new styles. Now, obviously, being the Leeds lads, we talk about Leeds a fair bit, uh, but just, just to show we're not quite parochial, uh, you can see Gwen's paintings throughout Europe and the US. Uh, she's in the Tate, she's in galleries in Paris and in Washington. OK, thanks so much, Bill. Hmm. Well, that seems to be all. Well, until we meet again, take care of yourself. listening to this episode of 5282 which is a out of left field production you can follow us on x at oolf presents 5282 and oolf presents 5282 on facebook and that's for numbers 5282 the producer was kevin petch engineering and editing was by david ben William Asbury was on the saxophone. 5282 is part of the Acast family. 